Welcome to The Favorites, the podcast from the Volume Podcast Network. It's Thursday. That means it's time to enter the Thursday Thunderdome. On today's show, our special guests will compete alongside my co-host, my BFF, my companion, professional sports better Simon Hunter in an epic test of wagers and wits that's quickly made this show the first universally beloved media product since Shears. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Hello, Simon. Hello, Chad. It's good to be here, buddy. Good news for you. As you know, my wife has taken very little interest in my career despite my ridiculous success as a premier executive as the ESPN, author of seven books, as someone who was part of the team that founded this company and then sold it, as I remind everybody, for $240 million, does not care. But yesterday, she was done listening to a podcast when I happened to be downstairs. And she looked at me and she goes, What's that uh, funny podcast you do? I heard one of the episodes you made me listen to while we were driving. And I'm like, the favorites, the Thunderdome? She goes, yeah, I, I could listen to that. And then as she goes in to look for it in Google, she goes to type in the podcast. She goes, wait a second. What did you say it is? Is it Behind the Bets? I'm like, are you kidding me? Behind the Bets, the podcast that I started at ESPN has not been the name of this podcast for years. I just gave you the name. But the good news is, all I take from this is she called it funny. So we made it. This is us peaking right now. We got some heat. <laughs> serious, well, serious. I'll tell you what, Chad. I've had people listen to the show, the Thunderdome edition. They love it. So it's, it's not surprising that she would love the show. Well, listen, speaking of heat, your first challenger, I am super excited to get this guy on because he has built social media empires from nothing that I am completely and totally jealous of. Uh, your first challenger is an NBA expert, the host of the Buster Show podcast, and the founder of Instagram's Hoops Nation. There are no off days for this man. Welcome to the show, Buster Sure, How are you? Thank you so much for having me. It is great to have you on the show. I got to know, before like we even get into it, explain to people what you've done and how you've done it. Because what are you like, 13? Close. So I, I started when I was 13. Fortunately, I'm a little older than that now. I'm 20. But I started blogging about fantasy basketball when I was 13. Originally on Facebook, started to learn the algorithms and how to edit videos when I was 14 or 15. Simultaneously started doing play-by-play -play broadcasting for local high school sports. So started with JV, girls field hockey, and slowly made my way up from that to JV girls soccer. And at that point, that, that jump is the biggest jump I've ever had, by the way. But kept doing that when I was 17, won best in the country for play-by-play -play broadcasting. And then just kept on building out Hoops Nation, you know, sort of in, in lieu of the saying that, you know, you, you mentioned there, no days off season, you know, just consistency and keeping it up and starting to build a team and, you know, making nice and, and friends with the NBA and, and other professional leagues just allowed that and also being early on new platforms. You know, TikTok is a good example. And in the first three months being on the platform, growing a million followers a month, which, which is always fun. 
and uh, just trying to create my dream media outlet because as I realized very quickly and early on, every major media company was not run by a 16-year-old. Probably for the better, but I thought that there was room for something like that to exist just from a different lens. Well, listen, you've created my dream media outlet, and I feel like you would get along great with our next contestant because he too is also all about following his passion and doing it his own way. He is out to avenge his April loss here in the Thunderdome. He is also our first repeat victim. He's Action Network NBA expert, alumnus of the University of Pennsylvania, former DJ, boxing aficionado, currently falling in love with the Phoenix Suns, Philadelphia's finest, Mr. Raheem Palmer. How y'all doing today? Pleasure to be on again. Are you bringing your A-game again today? I'm always bringing my A-game. They just got lucky last time. Well, they also had help from me, because don't forget, uh, at the end of the day, I'm always rooting for Simon Hunter. I am going to tilt the game in his direction. I want him to win desperately. He's my BFF. Here's how the game is played. Today, you'll answer two kinds of questions. First, traditional trivia questions about sports, sports betting, the world at large. Second, completely subjective and totally asinine, open-ended questions or prompts that I alone will judge. To accumulate points, you must answer the trivia questions correctly and also convince me that your responses to those open-ended prompts are better than the responses from your opponents because just like sports betting, you can't get them all right. Let's begin. Part one, offensive versus offensive. Offenses exploded across the NBA all year and the regular season ended as the best in NBA history for two-point shooting, three-point shooting, and foul shooting. But I won't ask you about famous NBA offensive performances. I'll ask you about famously offensive NBA performances. Simon, after a 2010 loss to the Celtics, the Pistons' Charlie Villanueva accused Kevin Garnett of calling him, quote, a cancer patient, end quote. The offensive remark allegedly related to Villanueva having this autoimmune condition, the primary symptom of which is hair loss on the scalp and face. What is the name of the condition? I do know the name. I have a friend whose brother has it, but like I'm terrible with these scientific names. How about I'll give you I'll give you a hint. It starts with Allo... Alopecia. The... Alopecia. Alopecia. There we go. I'm giving it to you. Mm. Matt Mitchell, we're giving it to him. Because mm. he got it right away. He got it. As soon as I gave him the hint, he got it right away. Mm. Raheem, before a 1990 Pacers-Celtics game held the day after Christmas, Indiana's Chuck Person, nicknamed the Rifleman, told Larry Bird he was about to, quote, go on a hunting trip. Bird responded that he had a Christmas present for him. True to his word, as the Celtics pulled away late, Bird shot a three-pointer in front of the Indiana bench. With the ball still mid-flight, Bird <laughs> turned a person on the bench and told him, quote, Merry fucking Christmas, just as the ball went in. This bit of holiday blasphemy is likely the greatest shit talk ever directed at Chuck Person, who became the second most famous Chuck in NBA history, right behind 
his former college teammate who became a dream teamer alongside Larry Bird. That's Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley, by the way, I will never get tired of Larry Bird trash talking stories. The other day, I was talking to my 14 year old son about great NBA players and we were talking about Larry Bird and why Larry Bird was still so beloved. And I think part of it has to do with the trash talking. Buster, here's your question. In 1997, Latrell Sprewell committed one of the most offensive actions in modern NBA history when he choked this head coach of the Warriors during practice, earning a 68-game suspension. 97 coach of the Warriors. First name is initials. What do you say? First name is what? Is initials. Initials as in something you wear to bed at night. Not sure where you're going with that one. <laughs> PJ. PJ Carlissimo. Ah, before my basketball time. I don't know where you think I was going with what you wear to bed at night. It's PJ's, man. All right, here's the prompt. Let's play Dare to Compare. Dare to Compare. Based on how the NBA playoffs have gone thus far, compare any of the participating teams to a 1990s film. Simon, you can go first. Literally right popped in my mind was Shawshank Redemption and him crawling down that big tunnel of shit to get out of the prison. And it just reminds me of the Knicks fans. They've just been crawling down the sorge of shit for about 10 years. And last night you kind of felt it where it was like they finally broke out and like they're they're free. They got a playoff win at home, full stadium. It just, I don't know, the Knicks, the Knicks remind me of Shawshank Redemption, of everything they've gone through, and they're finally at the end of the tunnel. Wow, that is a really, really good answer. Raheem, you're next. I'm going with the usual suspects. Verbal Kent, you know, he said the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. That is the Milwaukee Bucks right now. I mean, people have slept on this team because they fizzled out of the playoffs the last two years. I mean, they're dominating the Heat. The Heat actually had 70% of the public on them in game two. They have 70% of the public on them tonight. People are still sleeping on this Bucks team. They're going to face a Brooklyn Nets team in the second round. And everybody thinks that the Nets are going to dominate them. But I think Giannis is going to be the best player in that series. Giannis is looking like Kaiser Sose. That's how I look at it. Usual suspects. Wow. That is really good for a couple of reasons. Let me unpack this. Number one, I completely agree with you. I had the Bucs coming out of the East. Two, Giannis playing Kaiser Soze. That is next level. That That's good. Okay, Buster. All right. So my preface to this is, you know, from the Knicks having gone from terrible to amazing and nobody thought that they could do it. Happy Gilmore is the, is the movie. He's been the talk of the course today with his amazingly bizarre behavior. Because there's no reason that the Knicks should be doing what they're doing right now, but somehow they are. And that, that is why I choose that movie. Here's what's interesting. You guys all chose possibly three of the most classic, most watched movies from that decade. So even if like it wasn't your era of movies, you totally found the right movies to choose. This is one of the hardest decisions I've had to make. Normally like one person gives a terrible, terrible answer. I got to go with Happy Gilmore because Happy Gilmore to me personifies the 90s. And I do think like having the Knicks be the answer 
uh, is the most appropriate thing. Also, Adam Sandler, huge hoopster, and Adam Sandler on the court for Knicks games courtside in the 90s is the most classic mashup there can be. Therefore, Buster, you win the prompt. Nice job, buddy. That's your home. Are you too good for your home? Part two, experience matters. Phil Mickelson won the PGA Championship last weekend, becoming the oldest major champion in golf history. His impressive victory calls to mind other noted athletes who defeated Father Time on their way to incredible athletic achievements. Buster, Olympian Dara Torres became the oldest swimmer to earn a place on a U.S. Olympic team after qualifying at the age of 41. She proved doubters wrong, winning a silver medal in all three of her events at the 2008 Summer Games held in this city. Oh, 2008 was, um, it was in Beijing. Beijing, Raheem. In 1965, pitcher Satchel Paige threw three shutout innings against the Red Sox. The Athletics had signed Satchel for just one game, even though he was 59 years old and hadn't pitched in the majors in over a decade. The A's moved to Oakland three years later and were based in this city when Satchel Paige pitched for them, the same city that celebrated a 2015 World Series win. Um, I'm going to guess it's Kansas City. Kansas City. Mm. Very well done. Simon, at the age of 45, this boxer knocked out Michael Moore to become the oldest heavyweight champion in history in 1994. That same year, he began endorsing a small cooking appliance in that deal that eventually made him over $200 million, far more than he earned in 30 years of boxing. Yeah, fun fact, the Hulk actually passed on making the Foreman Grill. So you're talking about George Foreman. Wow, were they going to call it the Ferrigno Grill? I, I don't know. I just remember reading that, that like he was one of the first people they pitched like two years beforehand. And they just like were like, all right, we'll get someone more famous than him because he like obviously passed on a good opportunity. Heartbreaker. I got to tell you, when I moved to New York in the 90s, my kitchen was a galley kitchen that you couldn't even put your, like my wingspan, which is not that big, could not extend in the kitchen. I had a George Foreman grill, used it nonstop, freaking loved it. The thing was a miracle. Highly recommend. And they hold up. Like, I think we still have had the same one for like 20 years. Still works. Totally holds up. Yeah. Fucking love it. Cook some turkey burgers on that thing. <laughs> it was amazing. All right, part two. Here's the prompt. Are you ready? If you could become the oldest person to do something in the sports world, what would you choose and why? Raheem, you're up first. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I just handed on it. I would love to become the oldest boxing champion. I mean, um, Bernard Hopkins won a championship at, at 48. George Foreman knocked out Michael Moore in, at 46. So I would love, you know, when I retire from the Action Network, when I'm 50, I'm going to get into the ring. My boxing name is going to be Rod Jones Jr. And I'm going to start knocking people out. <laughs> Here's what's fucking sad. As the 50-year-old on the call, for you to think, yeah, when I'm old and I'm 50 and I'm retiring, that's what I want to do. <laughs> Fuck you. All right. Buster, you're next. When I picture you know, an, an older fella doing something, 
you know, I, I think part of it is about what's like visually funny. And the other part is like about what's impressive. And I think a perfect combination of that would be to be a slam dunk champion, the oldest slam dunk champ. You know, the, there have been the shortest, there have been the best, there have been, you know, lots of people who have done it, but to be the oldest by a lot, that would be cool. That would be amazing because I could see, you know, as someone who's older, someone out there with their rec specs, their knee pads, their high tube socks, maybe pulling up some Chuck Taylors, then that person can actually jump out of the gym. Buster, I like where you're going. And also it didn't impugn my age the way Raheem did. So that also uh, wins you some extra credit. Simon, you're next. And if people are, I don't know, work for PETA, please, this is just a fictional game oh, show. Boy. I don't oh, actually would want to do this. Just people always get mad at me about this stuff. Uh, I would love to be like a 70, 90 year old matador where it's like a bull can kill me at any moment, but I'm also in the ring with a bull at that age. I just feel like that would just be a legendary visually because you see these guys, you make one false step, they get tossed in the air like 30 feet. So it would just be hilarious to see some old dude in the ring with a bull. You're going to win because that is an amazing answer. And the idea of a 70 or 80 year old being in the ring with a bull and the visceral feeling of knowing that this person doesn't have the reflexes to get out of the way at any moment. True story. True story. I actually did run with the bulls in Pamplona, Spain when I was in college and I was in Europe between my junior and senior year. My buddy and I went, uh, took like an overnight train to get there, showed up in town. The town is full of just people dressed in white with these red sashes puke all over their bodies because nobody sleeps. Everyone just drinks the entire night. And then because you get up to run with the bulls at eight in the morning. And so I am being held up by my buddy, literally held up. And everyone in the very small alley where the race starts is screaming, ole, 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 ole. And then they just, they, they blow the horn, the bulls come out and you are sprinting and you are lucky lucky if you make it out of there alive, you get into the bull ring and I'm in the bull ring and like I get out of the main area and then there's like a little circle area, like a paddock that the bulls can, that you can get away. Someone opened the gate to the paddock and it's between the bull ring and the stands and they let the bull inside and the bull is coming my way and I reach up and I try to grab onto the railings to lift myself into the stands and people start hitting my hands to knock me off because they wanted me to see me get hit by the bull. And at the last second, someone distracted the bull and the bull went the other way. It's like, it's right out of like something like Star Wars where they're like literally throwing you in the cage with that monster. It, like, it's wow. exactly what it is. It, it, you know what it is? It's like oh, uh, Gladiator. Exactly, yeah. I was Russell Crowe. Yeah, I have no pity for you. You chose to go there. You chose to run the bulls. Those people were doing you a favor. They said, you want the bulls, Chad? We'll give you the bulls. So Seriously, you can't right? be mad at those people. I did, really I did write, because everyone goes to Europe like that summer, they keep a diary. I did write this may, in, in 10 years, this may, I may look back and think this was the greatest thing I've ever done, or it was the stupidest thing I've ever done. <laughs> I'm still on the fence, to be honest. All right. Part three, the old switcheroo. Late last week, the Jacksonville Jaguars signed Tim Tebow with plans to convert the former Heisman Trophy winning quarterback into a tight end. It sounds like an insane plan, but it's a good reason to look back and talk about some other famous athletes who switched positions. Buster, in late 2009, 
This NCAA and NBA champion was a 6'3 high school guard on Chicago's South Side with zero scholarship offers. Less than 10 months later, he was six inches taller, converted to a big man, and was the top-rated high school recruit of his 2011 class. Who was, who is this player? Is it Anthony Davis? Anthony Davis! Simon, one of the most successful position switches in history came from this lightly recruited high school tight end who recorded eight catches for 77 yards as a freshman at Central Michigan before transferring to a Big Ten program and switching to defense. This player has since played in five Pro Bowls as a defensive end and has twice led the NFL in sacks. It's uh, J.J. Watt, right? Yes, J.J. Watt. Thank you, sir. Raheem, USA Today's High School Player of the Year in 1997 This then St. Louis Cardinals pitcher developed a devastating case of the yips in the 2000 NLCS. He'd go on to switch positions and by 2007 was a serviceable major league outfielder and hit a home run in his first start. I have no clue. I'm sorry. Rick and Keel. Wow, I've never heard of this guy in my life. <laughs> yeah, I think he played for what? The Cardinals? I'm, I kind of remember him from like when he came back and like that, his whole crazy story of him even being able to make it back to the major leagues. Crazy, crazy story. Crazy wow. story. Buster. Yeah, I've never heard of him. <laughs> well, then, then I don't feel bad that you missed it because you weren't that close. Buster, this 14 <laughs> year NBA veteran was so famously adept at switching positions that the sports band of Phoenix, Arizona wrote a song about the 6'8 Frenchman shortly after he won the NBA's Most Improved Player Award in 2006. French player who won Most Improved in 2006. Yes. Do you know what year he was drafted? Is that a hint I can ask for? 2003. A 2003? The Frenchness is throwing me off. Oh, man. Boris Diaw. He can play any position. If you're up against the Suns, you know you're in trouble because Boris Diaw could get a triple double. Boris Diaw. Boris Diaw. Oh, got it. Spurs, right? All right, Simon. In the middle of a long and successful Major League Baseball career. Brewers shortstop Robin Yount changed positions and went on to win a second MVP award as an outfielder. Yount is also the face of Robinade, a beloved fundraising lemonade still sold in stores across Wisconsin. It's reminiscent of another athlete-inspired beverage, the iced tea and lemonade concoction unofficially named for this Hall of Famer. Arnold Palmer? Arnold Palmer. Simon is having his best performance ever in the trivia category. Normally, you're very good in the prompts, but really doing well in the trivia. Raheem, after a successful high school career at quarterback, this future Super Bowl MVP and Dancing with the Stars champion was converted to wideout at the University of Georgia, 
was named first team all SEC before the Steelers drafted him in 1998. Um, you said Super Bowl MVP? Yeah. Um, is it um, San Antonio Holmes? Heinz Ward. Oh, my God. Wow. I forgot he won a Super Bowl MVP. Heinz Ward. I did, too, by the way. I can't even remember which. Must have been 2005. You don't remember, you don't remember the trick play? No. He did a trick play, and then the following year, Randall L. did a trick play. It was like Pittsburgh just had wide receivers that could throw bombs. Yes. I totally remember that. As an Indiana alum, I remember Antoine Randall L. <laughs> Part three. Here's the prompt. New Jaguars coach Urban Meyer hopes reuniting with Tim Tebow will cause a late career renaissance for his former college quarterback. And uh, I just want to say one thing to the fans and everybody in Gator Nation. I promise you one thing. A lot of good will come out of this. God bless. Your job is to take any past his prime professional athlete. Sell me on how reuniting with his college coach would jumpstart his career. Raheem, you're up first. I'm going to go with Reggie Bush. I think if he reunite, reunited with Pete Carroll, it would jumpstart his career for one. I mean, there's a couple of reasons. For one, Reggie Bush in the modern NFL would be incredible. Um, I don't think he's lost too much of his speed. I think, you know, things open up a little bit more in, in this modern NFL. He would kind of be like a poor man's Alvin Kamara. But also, you know, one of the biggest complaints for Pete Carroll throughout this, this whole era is that he doesn't let Russell Wilson cook. And if he's not letting Russell Wilson cook and he's giving Rashad Penny and, you know, Chris Carson and all these guys carries and getting them the ball, he's going to give the ball to Reggie Bush. So I think Reggie Bush would, you know, if he came back even at the age of 36, I think he'd make a, a little impact because I don't think he's lost much speed. Wow. The idea that Reggie Bush is only 36 and has been out of the league for that long, I could totally see this 100%. This, this doesn't feel impossible in any way. I like it. Simon, you go next. Obviously, I really wanted to go with Coach K and some Duke player, but no Duke players really work out in the NBA, so I had to kind of skip that one. So for me, it's kind of where I'm thinking back to Oregon. They were so incredible at Chip Kelly, man. And, like, that offense was, I mean, just overtook the whole college scene. And even when he came to the Eagles, Chip Kelly was pretty good. I just feel like Marcus Mariota, the only quarterback I've ever seen throw a touchdown to himself in the playoffs, he's got potential. And it never really worked out where it's like he just never really had a coach that could optimize his skill set. So I would love if Chip Kelly came back in the NFL and had like a team with Mariota and we could see that old Oregon offense. So that would definitely be my nomination. That is really interesting, too. It's so it's crazy that combinations you guys are thinking of. They're all you and Raheem. They're so parallel. Buster. I'm going big. All right. He's a little past his prime. I have been a supporter of said player for a very long time. He is a national champion collegiate player from the famous 2003 draft class, Carmelo Anthony and his former Syracuse head coach. That combo is the only combo in Carmelo Anthony's entire career that has won at the highest level. And they did it in incredible fashion. Teams have been trying to get coach Jim to, uh, to come coach in the league. Hasn't done it. Hasn't worked. If that were to happen, the energy would be insane and inevitably create a really good team. 
So wow, you know, in round one with the prompts, I was leaning towards Raheem when he talked about usual suspects and the Bucks, which I loved. And then you came in over the top with Happy Gilmore. And right now, I've been loving the idea of Reggie Bush and Pete Carroll. And then you give me Mello and Beheim. Mello, to me, one of the most interesting NBA careers because he went from being the guy who everyone thinks is this superstar scorer but can't win in Denver to being a guy who was a scorer but was selfish and the wrong player for the Knicks to being a guy who was beloved for how he did on the international stage to a guy who's out of the league and now making his bones as sort of this savvy veteran with a Portland team that is always on the cusp. Such a mercurial figure. The problem for me on that one, Beheim seems like the biggest asshole in the world. Like the way he talks to people, the way he treats media, how dismissive he is. I just don't like him. You're an idiot and really a disloyal person. And a few other things I could add, but I'll, I'm not going to go there. I can't give it to you because it's a personal animus. It's a great wow. answer. Great wow. answer. You definitely come in a strong second. I'm giving it to Raheem. So right now, this is exciting because right now, going into the final round, Raheem is at three. Buster is at three. Simon is at three. This is fantastic. We have the potential for a runoff. The topic is NBA most improved player. First, close your eyes. Hold up the number of fingers of what you would like to risk in your final wager amount. So just close your eyes and hold up your fingers. One to three. Got it? Okay. Julius Randall of the New York Knicks was just named the NBA's most improved player. He's trying to become the fourth recipient of the award to win an NBA championship during his career. Here are the other three. The first was the aforementioned Boris Diaw, who won the award in 2006 with the Suns and won a title with the Spurs in 2014. The latest was Pascal Siakam, who won the award and a title in 2019. The third was this player, this player, who won the award in 2011. He became the first player in almost 30 years to post a 30.30 rebound game, and his 53-game double-double streak was the longest since the ABA-NBA merger. He was not selected as an all-star that season, despite leading the NBA in rebounds per game, but was chosen by the commissioner as an injury replacement for Yao Ming. A few seasons later, he'd be traded to an Eastern Conference power where he'd secure his first and only championship and where he remains to this day. Who was the 2011 most improved player in the NBA? Buster, you're yeah. first. Like my first inclination was Lamarcus Aldridge because the guy, you know, uh, but he hasn't he hasn't won, but he's on the Spurs now. No, I can't think of who it is. You have lost two points. You are down to one point. Raheem, what is your answer? 
Kevin Love. Come on, y'all. Kevin Love. Six points. Raheem has six points. Simon, what's your answer? I got it. I got Kevin Love. I can't believe it. What? You yeah. got your first grand finale answer. Raheem and Simon both have six points. You guys deserve this one. I have nothing to say. Congratulations. That was was a good question. That was tricky because I was like, who the hell won a championship when they're still on that team? Because it's the East. And I was like, oh, wait, Kevin Love. He's just been sitting there for like six years now. Well, Matt Mitchell, we need a runoff. Do you want to take over for the runoff? Sure. It is with great pleasure that I announce yet another Thunderdome Sudden Death Challenge between Simon Hunter and Raheem Palmer. This one will concern the 1996 NBA draft and the New York Knickerbockers. The 1996 NBA draft was loaded with talent. Kobe, Iverson, Marbury, Ray Allen, Steve Nash, Marcus Camby, even Jermaine O'Neal was taken all the way at 17th. Unfortunately, the New York Knicks, who had three first round picks that year, chose shitty players. Their three first round draft picks were John Wallace, Walter McCarty, and Dante Jones, a who's who of mediocrity. I'm especially fond of John Wallace, as he's a native of my own Rochester, New York, and was coached by Jeff Van Gundy, who once coached at my high school, McCoy Jesuit, and referred to it as his favorite year coaching in his entire career. But I digress. The question is, John Wallace, Walter McCarty, Dante Jones, played for a combined 18 NBA seasons in total. Without going over, how many career starts did those three NBA players have? This is real drama, Chad. The stakes for Simon would be, for the first time in the illustrious history of the Thunderdome, he will have gotten the correct answer in the grand finale after wagering all of his points, putting him in position to actually win. Has he won the Thunderdome before, Chad? No. Incredible. Simon, you go first. You guys just love stacking it against me. It's ridiculous. I have no idea. I don't even remember what the question was. That's how I was just like, what the hell is this talking about right now? I'll go um, a thousand. No, change that to a hundred because apparently they're terrible. So I guess a hundred. One hundred is Simon Hunter's answer for career starts. Raheem? I think John Wallace, what did he play, like seven years? Um Dante Jones and Walter. I have no idea who um, Walter is. I'm going to go around 150. (laughs) John Wallace started 45 games. Dante Jones had a foot injury and started zero. And Walter McCarty got traded to the Celtics, which he started quite a number of games. 108, in fact. 45 and 108 is 153. Raheem Palmer almost gets it on the nose and is our champion. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I win. Listen, man. Uh, listen, I said off the top of the show, you're a University of Pennsylvania alumnus. The ability to look at numbers and contextualize them. That is really important. You figured out how to do it today. You are the Thursday Thunderdome champion. Simon, I'm sorry. Buster, thank you for playing. Well, well done. Before we sign off, here's a word from our fearless leader, Action Network CEO, Patrick King. You're in big trouble though, pal. I eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast. All right, 
This has been the favorites from the Volume Podcast Network. My thanks to our guests, Buster Sher, Raheem Palmer, and Simon Hunter. As a reminder, the volume is now on YouTube. We've got new stuff up there every single day, including clips and interviews from all the network shows. Subscribe to the volume YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash the volume. Rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and download and listen on Spotify. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on The Favorites. Love you. Love you.